Welcome to A Bun Dance. You guessed it, a podcast dedicated to all things surrounding dance. I am Kristen. And I am Hannah, and we are two best friends who are brought together by this art form. Please join us in five, six, seven, eight. Here's a word from our sponsor. Hello, everyone. We welcome a very special guest who, uh, who was recommended to us by our former professor, Solvay Santiliano. We are so excited to have you on today, Carol. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So to get started, you are a somatic movement educator and Pilates specialist based in California with your own business, Body's Mind. For those that might be unfamiliar with somatic movement, can you just kind of give us a brief description about what this is? Sure. Uh, somatic movement is a field that um, helps people to connect better with their somatic sense. That is the sense of their body in motion and in rest and in um, just your body-mind connection. Uh, you can access that in a variety of ways through experiential anatomy, relaxation, um, different dynamics. It's a wonderful burgeoning field. It's been around for forever, but it's really starting to come into its own now, I think, somatic movement education and also therapy. Um, but I, I consider myself an educator more than a therapist. Great. Thank you. Sure. And would you also just talk to us a little bit about how you got started in somatic movement and Pilates? Where did this kind of feed into the timeline of your life? Well, um, well, it's, I came, uh, I came upon Pilates when I was a dancer at Juilliard, um, earning my BFA and, uh, I had a knee problem and went to Pilates for that, was sent by Martha Hill to uh, Carola Trier, who was um, one of Joseph Pilates' protégés, and um, that was a short walk from Lincoln Center down to around Columbus Circle in New York City, and uh, that's how I started getting involved in Pilates. Um, but before that, um, I had already had some backaches and lots of uh, physical issues from dancing. So I started at a really young age and uh, came into uh, physical issues, probably starting around age 16 or so. I had a couple of falls um, and ballet became uh, painful actually. And um, the summer before I got into Juilliard, I worked with a um, touch for health specialist and a chiropractor. And that was sort of my um, start of learning about somatics and body work and all of that. And I, it got me out of pain enough that I could audition at Juilliard and get in. And, uh, and that's, that's basically how it started um, doing what I do now. And probably about two months into learning Pilates, I knew that I wanted to teach it someday because I was so fascinated by it, had absolutely no idea why it was working. <laughs> it seemed to be a really um, intense process for me, really just not really understanding anything <laughs> that Carola was telling me. And uh, I just did what 
I was told and got through it. And for somehow I felt better, but I really felt like for the first six months or so that um, I was just really not aware at all of my body after having danced my entire life and been on stage more before Juilliard than after Juilliard actually did most of my um, on stage work before I, I graduated. So, um, so that was really super interesting for me. And I knew that I wanted to teach it someday and um, started, started on that path pretty much after I graduated. So. That's, that's so interesting, Carol. It, it's amazing how so many dancers are positively influenced by Pilates. And I know I have never really done somatic movement myself, but I have learned about it. And it seems like such a, a wonderful thing for your body, both mentally and physically. And I know I read a little bit about your mission um, for Body's Mind, and it seems like you're all about including the mental and the physical aspect of your work, whether it be in somatic movement or Pilates. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say that I, I have a little bit different view of Pilates than, than a lot of Pilates instructors. Um, mostly because I take that somatic movement approach. Uh, uh, most Pilates teachers will probably tell you that they're more either coming from the fitness or physical therapy orientation. And uh, neither of those have really um, grabbed me, you know, in that way. Um, I'm much more um, going by a narrative of what comes from somatic movement as opposed to what comes from fitness and physical therapy. So there's different narratives that people describe Pilates by. It's very important to me to get out the definition that comes from a somatic movement orientation, because that's really where I think that Pilates came from. He was German um, at that time, turn of the century. It was so much um, physical awareness coming into, into play. Uh, he wrote about mental and physical balance being a birthright. And um, you know, if you look at his two books and those two books really kind of outline you know, his philosophy. He had a philosophy, not just do these moves. So um, so that was so interesting to me. And I actually didn't even see those books until, let's see, I started in 81. I didn't really see them until 1998. Um, so that was really interesting to me to read his books after I had learned it and to know that I was catching on to some of his, some of his philosophies, some of his principles that he was going by. And those are very somatic uh, in orientation. Not, he actually said that his work is not physical therapy, um, made that distinction for people, but obviously we know that physical therapists have adopted it and um, use it quite well with their populations, um, which just shows you that it's such an accessible uh, dynamic um, and, and form kind of movement that uh, serves people in so many different ways and so many different kinds of, of, of issues and, and feeling states. So you didn't do so much Pilates or haven't experienced it very much or? We we have done some Pilates and I also currently take a little bit of Pilates right now in New York City, but I haven't done any certifications or anything like that. But I do have 
quite an admiration for it for sure and I know a lot of dancers really benefit from it so that's kind of where I'm at yeah (laughs) I took a semester worth in college and I I take some here and there with my ballet company um here in Maryland and and have at different summer programs and stuff throughout my life but I definitely would say that I haven't had like it consistently in my life for a prolonged period of time more of like doses of it here and there but I definitely it's something I'm very interested in and would love to integrate more into my life unfortunately I I feel like a little bit of an excuse but when I have a little bit more time on on my hands than I do currently (laughs) yeah it does it does take time it is a practice in and of itself and when dancers are already working on their technique and in their uh, mode or their style of movement that they are are currently involved in it's it is something extra but what people find out once they get into it is that it forms it's a baseline of movement that helps you to really understand how the body operates actually how the movement of pilates operates on the body to help it to become more uniform in its structure and also to help a body mind or a human help that's what i call humans are body minds in my vocabulary that they can um, just start to find that relationship um, to their body and to space and and all of that. And it's really fundamental. It's a very fundamental movement practice that um, is foundational to almost everything else you can do in life. Yeah, so it's really, um, so the somatic movement part for me came in when I started I learned what I learned in New York for about 11 years before I moved to California. And then when I opened up my own studio, it was really interesting moving from New York to California and hearing what uh, my clients thought about my cues and what they meant, you know, uh, because I was, I was smoking, working a lot with dancers. Uh, we the studio that I worked at was really close to Lincoln Center. And I had, you know, while we also worked with um, people with musculoskeletal issues, um, neurological issues, we primarily had a lot of dancers as well. And you could see that it was a very universal practice. The dancers did the same things as the people with um, other kinds of issues. And was just a a wonderful way to learn. That was at Anderson Kazakov Studio where I learned that. It was on 72nd and Columbus. And so that that time period for me was just really about me and learning and watching my mentors and understanding how to cue and how to help assist my clients. And then I got to New York and uh, gone to California and it was like, what do I do now? Because my mentors aren't here and they're not placing me on the apparatus. And how do I do this without my mentor's input? And that was really when I had to start finding my own way of teaching and my own way of developing my teaching technique. That was really what it was about. And it was very different teaching people in California than it was in New York City. Um, They would have different different answers to my questions. New York, pretty much people came in, they did what you told them, and then they went out again and they 
got the work done and they, they were used to doing that. And uh, in California, it was very much a new practice for most people. They had lots of questions. They questioned me and what my, my uh, intentions were. So they would ask, you know, I would say, well, you're not quite moving in that shoulder the way I'd like to see. And they say, well, how do you mean? And then I'd say, well, I don't know what I mean. Let me get back to you on that. <laughs> I would have to really search myself and what I would, how, how I felt it in myself so that I could then start teaching in, in a different way than I um, had learned because some of the same cues weren't working and I had to, had to find that way. And it took a long time but I developed a movement model called um, the Amend Integrative Model for Movement Analysis, Pedagogy and Practice, little long title there. But really what it is, is if you know Laban, you've heard of Laban Movement Analysis, right? Um, it's different than that because, and which I learned at school, but it, it's different in the way that I wasn't just observing people and telling them what to do. I also would have a conversation afterwards if I saw them do something and it wasn't quite what I was going for, I would ask them, so how did that land for you? How was that cue? How did that, how did you hear what I said? And what did you think I meant by that? And what did you then tell your body what, how to do something or how did you connect with what I was saying? And it was probably about a 10 or 12 year process until I had it written down in such a way that I had built this model. I didn't know what I was doing. I spoke with a phenomenologist named Elizabeth Benke um, for many years, starting in the mid-90s. And that was an amazing process to go through it with her and to realize that I was actually building a model. <laughs> and it was a, it's called a first-person model. That is when you include the client in the process and you ask them how they're feeling about it. You know, So lots of times um, dancers grow up, I remember, you know, in my, in my dance training, thinking that I had to make that form in a certain way. And sometimes those cues weren't right for me, but they were right for other people and other people seemed to get it more easily than me. So I knew from that, that it was really, really important to make sure that the client heard you the right way. And I started learning about how to teach in a different way than I had learned. And it was really, an, it becomes very individual to a degree. But then what I learned over those 12 years was that there are universal concepts that apply to everybody. And that's when it started getting really, really interesting. Started then applying that model to how I was teaching Pilates specifically. So I'd ask clients during Pilates practice, and then I would then go back and apply those concepts that I learned or that I saw what was happening in the body to Pilates. And that's when the theory about Pilates came up that is um, satisfying a lot of the debates that are going on in Pilates right now. There's a debate about how to use the spine. Some people say neutral spine, some people say flat back. It's a age old disagreement in our, in our field that is sort of satisfied now. I, I never worry about it. I cue in a way that people can find these fundamental uh, places of balance and of anchoring and opposition that are universal to everybody. You don't have to be a dancer to understand this. You don't have to be tra a trained dancer. You can easily 
teach it to anyone. And that's really what I was going for in, uh, in my being a Pilates teacher. Yeah, that makes so. a lot of sense. As you're speaking, I was also just thinking about like, is there a reason why you moved to California versus staying in New York? Uh, that was personal. <laughs> a lot oh, of, okay, uh, got it. I didn't yeah. know if it had to do with your career or anything like that. You know, um, so I was actually uh, going through a divorce and I had learned uh, the Traeger approach. Traeger approach, that's going into the somatics again. So I studied lots of, even in New York, I, I experienced a lot of somatics techniques, Jinshin Jitsu and, um, or Jinshin Do and um, what else, Rolfing, all kinds of massage, chiropractic, you know, you name, there's acupuncture, all that kind of stuff. And um, I knew that when I, you know, was going to be working for myself again, it wasn't quite the plan I had after I had a child to continue teaching. I actually wanted to write some children's books, um, but that kind of got waylaid and I uh, wanted to think of something else that I could do along with Pilates. And so I learned the Traeger approach. And the Traeger approach is a lot about finding weight and relaxation. And it was just an amazing adjunct to what I was doing in Pilates. And it helped, it helped form my viewpoint on Pilates as well. So, um, and so I moved out there for Traeger a, and, um, and for a relationship. And so that's how I got out here. I'm glad I did. I raised yeah. my son. He, he's, he was two and a half when we moved here. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that I raised him out here. Yeah, it sounds like such a transformative period for you too, kind of pushing you outside your comfort zone, away from your mentors and having to to have all those like self-discovery moments and kind of just find your place in what you do. And like you said, kind of start to form those own opinions and really solidify you and, and your stance on everything. So it sounds like it all, you know, everything happens for a reason and it all really fell into place for you. Absolutely. It. I, I would say that a big reason why AIM was developed, a MEND integrative model, the big reason why that was developed was that communication to me had become so important knowing how my, my marriage had just fallen apart and that what I thought was communication just really were agreements that I thought had been made and weren't really what I thought. And so you come to those realizations and, and I think that that was a huge, I don't know if I've ever even said that to anybody before, but, um, but that really was, it was a huge part of it, you know, boundary making and agreement making is such an important part of relationship that you know exactly who's doing what and especially when it comes down to the teacher client relationship it's super important to know uh what you are expecting from your teacher what you're expecting from the client what those expectations are and then also just to keep current with how your response to what those what the cues are really super important. And that's what I mean by it was a lot different going into, into California, um, teaching in California. People were at that time 
still, it, this is workshop. Actually, I, I live in Marin County, which is outside of San Francisco. Um, and it's, it's a very growth process oriented um, area. It's near Big Sur where Esalen is. And, and um, so there's all that influence. So it's kind of a Mecca for body work and, and all kinds of self-growth uh, uh, workshops and seminars and all of that. So I, all my clients were well-versed in that. And um, it was really important to keep my boundaries on that, um, to know, I, you know, it was a hard time, like you said. So I had to not be an authority in my studio. I would never say that that is anything that I ever had in mind to do, but to make clear uh, who just who was leading in that moment, and then how to form how to form that relationship so that it can be reciprocal. Super important to me, you know, not to just dictate what someone should do, but really listen and then hear from the person what they're what they're experiencing and get an answer, you know. Um, and um, that super super helped me to stay. Um, sort of in an awareness of what my goal was as a teacher for my clients and that it wouldn't get backtracked. Um, so, so many people were empathetic and wanted to, you know, could see that I was going through a rough time or whatever and would want to help. And that was not what I wanted in my studio. They were there to be helped, not me. And so that was a huge growth process for me to be able to create this model that kind of helped me and protected me from uh, getting into to issues where boundaries could be misconstrued and, and that sort of thing. So it's super important. Super, super yeah, thank important. You. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah. you spoke a little bit about your kind of client base in California and how that's differed from what you experienced prior in New York City but you also reach clients online as well. Is that correct? Yeah. How does this maybe differ or kind of who are you reaching out to um, with your clients online? Okay, so when, when I started understanding how clients were responding differently, it was an emotional component that I hadn't really bumped up against in New York necessarily. Um, and that is, was a huge part of me understanding how people relax, super, super important. And um, it's been said about Pilates that you can't really teach it online. Well, starting in about 2017, I was already teaching it before the pandemic. After the pandemic, everyone said, oh, sure, you can do Pilates online. Uh, but we were already doing it online. And I found that it was so helpful, not only because... I had started this training program in 2013 and realized that there was so much backstory that that teachers had to understand in this continuing education program that I was teaching. And they had to start to understand this different viewpoint that we have at Body's Mind. And so to understand the backstory, you could handle that with all the reading and that kind of stuff. And then you could go straight into 
the sensory part and the actual doing of the movement, which is really, really important. So oftentimes you would go to a workshop or whatever and you expect to be moving the whole time, but there was this component, this mental component of understanding how we're mentally conditioned to think about our bodies, how we have these um, preconceived notions about our bodies, how we've developed certain relationship with our body that isn't necessarily um, totally completely functional or optimal and um, to start to understand those as opposed to putting it into a psychological viewpoint. So a, a mental conditioning side is just how, um, how we're taught the body operates. And what I was finding was that the fitness and physical therapy viewpoints just didn't cover any of that. And so that's really what was interesting, but working online has been really pretty amazing. So during the pandemic, when I was working with my clients, the few that stayed with me, you know, a lot of them didn't do that. I had older, more old, I've always had clients that are about 20 years older than me. Um, and so during the pandemic, many of them didn't really want to go online. Um, but the ones that did, they got to focus so much more. Um, there, there was the distractions were lessened. I had to really see, and because I had done the sensory work in the studio, they could easily pick it up. So it was really amazing. Um, what happened with that. And the cues are so easy um, for people to get. And um, it's more like, instead of having my hands on them, they could feel the floor and <laughs> they roll around. So it's a lot of rolling around on the floor. It's a pre-Pilates program. You can look at it that way. Um, the pre-Pilates that I teach leads them right up into how to transfer weight, all the things that we know as dancers um, that they learn and how to leverage. And those are actually the principles that, Pilates wrote in his book that I didn't find until 2008, 2000, did I say? No, till 1998. And um, I realized I was already teaching them. They were already involved. They were already part of my model, those principles that he actually mentioned in his book. So, so that was really validating. Yeah. yeah. I hope I answered the question. You asked me about online. <laughs> hope that, yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah, no, that's a, that was a great response, Carol. You know, there's so many silver linings that the pandemic did give us, right? So it's so cool that you were able to realize that your clients could do this virtually. They didn't have to necessarily be in the studio to really learn and figure out what their bodies needed by getting that education from you through a screen didn't have to be in person and that's very accessible. So it's really awesome to, to hear about how that affected you. Um, and I also was just curious, so it seems like you work with dancers, but also non-dancers as people are older than you. Do you have a class that all different kinds of people are involved in, or do you have like specific classes for like beginning to advanced? How does your class structure work? Well, that's kind of a long story, uh, but I'll try to be quick about it. The, um, I don't really teach classes. The classes that I teach would be mat classes. And I have done them in the studio and I've been wanting to do them online. Haven't quite gotten to that yet. The most I've gotten to online is teaching uh, colleagues online and teaching them about this, this articulation, this narrative on Pilates. And um, so that they can help people who are experiencing pain primarily. So much of my this, I'm starting my fifth decade now. So in the third and fourth decades, I was really concentrating on people with pain because that's 
presenting with pain, that's who was coming to my studio. And so almost everyone comes to my studio because they're somehow presenting in, with pain. So um, that's really it. And you have to have, in order to teach a class like that, you have to have a baseline. So my goal was right before the pandemic uh, to find a space outside of my studio and teach like a community class and get people starting to understand what the pre-Pilates work that I teach is about. And of course that was shut down. So I'm still looking for a space. I just moved to this space after being in a tiny little studio for the past two and a half years. So I'm starting to branch out a little bit more, starting to open up again. And also my uh, continuing ed program for teachers is now opening up again too. So just kind of coming out of it, it's been, it's been a, pretty much a long haul. But before I had, this sort of more private uh, way of teaching, I followed the old model of Pilates. And that was never about classes. It was, what you see now in Pilates is not how I learned and it's not how I've ever run my studio. So I don't have rows of um, towers that they're called or reformers and teaching reformer classes like that. Everyone is on their own agenda. They came in, they knew what they were doing and I would progress them through the, through the um, movement patterns and dynamics. And so um, that's something, I guess people now call it open studio, those who still do it that way, but I don't know too many of us that do. It's kind of a, getting to be a little bit of a lost art. You'll see more classical people teaching that way, but um, I don't have a strictly classical, uh, studio in that way. I definitely am hugely influenced and I have classical apparatus, that kind of thing, but I find that our teaching techniques really had to improve. And so, um, so it's more about getting to be accessible to a larger number of people. It's really been what I've been about. You know, what do I want to leave? Um, you know, to help teachers teach more. And I love to help dancers do this. Dancers are primed and ready to, to teach this work to, we would say non-dancers, but I like to say um, those not trained in dance, you know, so, so everybody should be a dancer. Everybody should dance in the living room. And, you know, so we used to say, you know, back in the day, we used to say dancers and normal people, but that wasn't too kind to ourselves, right? So um, so we say those trained in dance and those not trained in dance. This is actually, I've taught dancers who have never had this experience or the somatic experience deep in their bodies on how to access certain things that we call the aim spinal rhythms that we've articulated and other sensory awarenesses that come from the amazing work that he did that Pilates built. We didn't, I didn't have to build it. He built this amazing practice and it was just right. kind of like being a sleuth to figure out why does this work? You know, how's this, why did it work in this way? And it works universally. He called it reformer, the universal reformer. So he really had an idea. This is universal stuff. This works for everyone. If you can understand that people are all going to have different, different responses but the movement operates the same on all bodies. I mean, you understand that about Pilates, then I think, I think you really start to understand it. And it's simple enough for simple enough for anybody who can sense into themselves and can breathe and has enough ability to relax to sense it. Now that's 
what you just said about these last years here that have been really difficult during the pandemic, I found that it's been harder and harder for people to find that relaxation. Starting to get a little better now, but it's been a very difficult time and um, so needed. That's why I was quite upset when I had to shut down, but the physical therapist who taught Pilates didn't have to, you know, and that's kind of a policy thing that just, I'd really like to see a change there. I'd really like to see that what we do as people who feel our bodies and are trained in sensing ourselves and, and our movement articulation, experiential anatomy and what it means to feel weight and relaxation and, um, you know, body mind uh, relationship. That should be like primary to our health, you know? So, so that's really what I'd like to see it moving into is people learning more of the pre-Pilates that more and more people can be um, introduced and have Pilates be accessible to them. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, totally. So great. Thanks for sharing, Carol. And you talked about all this kind of unfolding in these these recent years, but do you have any kind of long-term goals or where you kind of see your business going in the future beyond what it is now? Well, um, throughout my career as a business owner, I have to say that I haven't followed any particular business model. What I've done is to follow the movement. That coming from a dance background. I simply focused on what fascinates me about Pilates. Then I see who shows up and how I might help. That's what has kept me going and what keeps me challenged and yet somehow still content in what I do all day, knowing that I'm contributing something that's considered valuable in some way. It's not very formulaic, I know, but it has worked for me. Um, I just kept noticing how the original Pilates method operates, which led to a process of discovery about human movement. And that is information you won't find in any books, by the way, not in biomechanics or kinesiology or neurology or even physiology at this point, because I have searched. And I also noticed that what movement um, practice affords us in terms of a self-discovery process. So in setting that intention, my practice lives up to the definition that Joseph Pilates gave for his work, complete coordination of body, mind, and spirit. Or so my clients tell me. Um, uh, for that, I'm so tremendously grateful to all the clients that have walked through my doors in these last 30 years and that I've been able to sustain a livelihood. Uh, I've learned something from each and every person, even if they've only had one session with me, they shared with me their impressions of what they think Pilates is. And that has shown me how much more there is to still reveal to the public about what can be accomplished by practicing the Pilates method. I just keep plugging away at that. So 
my studio now has a life of its own. I'm sitting here in my, this is my ninth studio location. And um, finally, now I see that I can teach the things that I've taught in my studio on a larger scale to the public, which I hope will create more interest in Pilates in general in all the ways that people relate to it. And I also hope that this will elevate our professional practices to the full scope and potential of the work. And um, that I'm finally realizing this is because of my clients who have been committed to going the distance in their practices, some for over 25 years now. They've learned to follow their kinesthetic sense and their um, intuitive somatic movement process, as you might call it. And I have learned so much from them in how to hone my teaching skills. And it's that teacher-client relationship um, that's how we've made the discoveries with our first person model and why we now call it Pilates by AIM. And that wouldn't have been possible without that particular interaction in what we call the AIM conversation with my clients. And that's where um, Bodies Mind Academy comes in. Again, I don't, I don't really look to our continuing education offerings as a business move. It's more about keeping with my personal evolution and what I feel is in alignment with my life purpose as a teacher. The last decade or so has been a wonderful process of exploring with fellow colleagues. Um, we, and I say we, in, my client, my um, colleague Deborah McKeever Watson and I, um, we're informing them about AIM and our discoveries, which came about through what might be called a kind of radical movement research. Um, it's about connecting with colleagues who are on the same path of investigation about Pilates, specifically Pilates. And there's a lot to unpack there, but. Um, both both on a very technical scientific level as well on a personal level. But um, what I know for sure is that our somatic movement practice and approach to analysis and theory of the work of Joseph Pilates has the potential to advance not only our field of Pilates, but also across multiple disciplines. Um, I've always, believed and now I've come to know that the Pilates profession deserves a language of its own and we have that now. And with that, there's so much more to tell. Um, uh, one, one really exciting thing that we um, are offering now is that we have a way of returning to the apprenticeship model of teacher training, which is how I learned, except that now we have all this new information that wasn't borrowed from other fields. And for that, we've intentionally created uh, a sustainable business model for small, small um, boutique studios to not only build their businesses and to keep teaching their clients, which is why we all began our businesses in the first place and also to usher in new Pilates teachers. And like I said before, 
Um, those with dance training are primed and ready for this way of working with clients. However, um, it is absolutely not exclusively for dancers. This is accessible to anybody who wants to um, who wants to live in a way that includes an ever deepening body awareness and a mental balance to go along with it. It's just such a fun experience for me and I'm sure Kristen too, just to hear you talk because it really, it's kind of making me nostalgic. I'm thinking actually a lot about Solvay now and we haven't had class with her in a couple of years, but you're just reminding me so, so much of her and what she also educates um, her students in. And it's just, it's, it's quite beautiful. So thank you for just for being here today and for sharing this with me and Kristen, but also our audience as well. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're so happy to have connected with you and to have learned about you, your life and, and your amazing work you're doing. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I've had such wonderful conversations with Solvay lately. I'm sending out a big thank you to her. And um, actually, I'd like to share a little story. I don't know that I would have been able to connect with my Juilliard classmates again without Facebook. We all started to reconnect back around 2007 or so. And recently I was recalling that I started a conversation on Messenger about Hanya Holm, who was one of our teachers at Juilliard. Your listeners will probably know that she was a major pioneer in American modern dance. Um, Anyway, just to share one historical connection between Pilates and the dance world, there were actually many, in fact, but Hanya is noted to have taught Pilates to dancers in her troupe, one of whom was Eve Gentry, who was a founder of the Dance Notation Bureau, where I was incidentally going to study had I not been accepted uh, into Juilliard. And Eve is... Um, now known as a Pilates elder. Well, uh, when I first heard people say that they learned Pilates from Hanya Holm, I was a little perplexed because that was not my experience of what Hanya taught us at school. And so I asked my classmates if they had any recollection of Hanya ever teaching us Pilates and they all answered, quite emphatically, no, not a chance, <laughs> no way. That's not at all what Hanya taught us. And then we shared all these stories that confirmed my memories. Of course, Hanya did teach and create in many genres, right? But, um, by the time that we studied with her, which was towards the end of her teaching life, she shared with us not specific choreography, but a more improvisational, that is an exploratory sense of recognizing or realizing uh, rather how our movement affects us, like on the level of our soul, essentially, to state it simply about how we how we move through life. And I definitely feel 
that it takes a while to live into that depth work. But we were all so fortunate to have had that experience at such a young age. And I'm positive that those lessons have shaped the artists and educators that we have become. So for me, ultimately, it was about how we realize through our movement practices that everyone and everything is connected through our common human somatic sense. Thank yeah, you. I think great. a really nice note to kind of end things on a really great message. Yeah, great. Yeah. Right. It's lovely to speak with you guys. Thank you. Too. Thanks for tuning into Abundance. We appreciate your support. We hope to have PK in your interest. Feel free to contact us at AbundancePodcast5678 at gmail.com and give us feedback on what you'd like to hear. That is Abundance without parentheses. Go dance yourself silly. Bye for now. A special thank you to Richard DeFiore for our lovely podcast tune and Matt Mellish for our cover art.